1: Welcome to Coast You, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. I mentioned yesterday that I would talk a little bit more about the coastal Mississippi tourism effort. Um, if you want to kind of understand, you know, my current thoughts, you can go to the show from yesterday at the Super Talk Gulf Coast Facebook page or YouTube or your favorite podcast. Ah, uh, you can also go to the coastview slash Ricky matthews uh, Facebook page. I posted the words that I spoke yesterday. Um, as soon as I've got more information, I'll share, but there's a there's a flurry of activity. And as I said yesterday, it's quite embarrassing that we're in this situation again where, the organization is having massive defections off the off the staff and, of course, you know the, the politics around it, but nothing really new to report today. I'll, t- I'll talk to you more about that later. And by the way, uh, the conversation I had yesterday with Angela Geist, the founder and executive producer for New Context, she's from Biloxi and has gone on to do amazing stuff. When I talked to her about she's got a woman car but she's never played it, but let's take a look at it for a second. I thought it was such an interesting conversation. So if you have a young woman in your life or even if you a man, you should pay attention close to this conversation because she makes the points that you still can't skip steps and that relationships are everything. And she talks about South Mississippi and what's part of her DNA about being nice and about creating authentic relationships is one of her competitive advantages. Really terrific conversation. If you miss it, you should go back and take a look at it. And now let's shift gears. We're going to move over to my friend John Hairston. He is the he's the main man at Hancock Whitney. He's a good friend, and we we have the opportunity. They spend an entire hour together. How you doing, John?
2: Oh, doing terrific, Ricky. Nice to be back on the show. Uh, wow, it seems like so much is happening so quickly. All of our material changes, even though it's been a few months.
1: You know, you know, John. It's interesting. We look back. Um, I've described you when we talked before. As being one of the most connected people that I've ever met, and I'll, I'll tell you specifically that uh, the work that you've done, not only within your bank, and we'll we'll give an update on what's happening with Hancock Whitney these days, but also with the work that you've done in the com- uh, community. That your passion and commitment and smarts, and your capacity for stuff is among the top three that I've come in contact with in my five states of responsibility over my career. And I believe it. I mean you 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 you're you're a great guy to talk to about what's happening these days. But you earned it, didn't you Buddy? You worked your way through the organization, didn't you? Well
2: yeah uh, your 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 threshold for being impressed is mighty low today, Ricky, but <laughs> very
1: kind. Thank you. But you know, again, gutport Boy done well. Um went to Mississippi State um, you built a foundation for yourself that that pos- ultimately positioned you to do the job that you're doing today. And as I said with Angela yesterday, you didn't skip any steps. You you paid your dues along the way. You did your reps, as you like to say.
2: Well, you know, I mean, you're you kind of mention it, but uh, you know, I grew up in a a truly wonderful family. Uh, my parents uh, were were a World War II generation. I, I was the last child by quite a measure. My my, my oldest sibling is actually 16 years older than me, so uh, so when Dad returned home from World War II and he and Mom started a family, I was a 1963 baby right afterwards, but I, I kind of grew up here in the lessons of, of that era, which uh, you know you hear people refer to that generation as the greatest generation. It really wasn't necessarily because of the war effort. That was a big deal, but this, their, their commitment to ethics, their commitment to fairness, doing the right thing— um, led to a lot of generational change that occurred in the '60s and '70s and '80s um, as they sort of reached their their ultimate in power and wealth and authority. You know, these people were children, basically teenagers and young twenties during the war. It was thirty or forty years later where they really made their mark in terms of fairness. So we sometimes yeah. forget their contribution to things that changed for the better. You know, when we were coming along in the '60s and
1: '70s for for sure. You know, you may have uh, I, the one thing I said to you in the first conversation that we had when I started the Sun Hero Leadership Ward which are now the the One Coast Awards, I had you <laughs> you as a symbol of the kind of person that we wanted to recognize. We wanted to hold you up as an example for others to follow. You've uh, you've really paid your dues and as you saw I had the opportunity this past One Coast Awards to uh, a 20th anniversary of the One Coast Award, I might add, uh, to, to do a keynote at the beginning. Where I, where I challenge folks, but one of the things I said to them was I quoted you that you said that it's so important for people to go out and do their reps. they just don't become chairman of the chamber they have to they have to find what their role can be. they need to work their way up, learn about the organization, maybe go do do work in another organization but but when we have the cumulative aspect of so many people willing to do their reps. Uh, we're developing a lot of leaders for the future, and uh, and first of all, I appreciate the inspiration and and that word you have to do your reps and that phrase you have to do your reps, but you really believe it and you preach it, and uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts about it.
2: Yeah, it, it's uh, you have a good memory, and and I think now is a very interesting time in that, um, you know, my my uh, I, I believe the biggest detriment of the sizable percentage of our population that works remotely is they, they inadvertently get robbed of the opportunity to do some of those reps. And so, I mean, every, everybody's got their own lifestyle in terms of how they want to live and how they want to work. And, and, and I think, fortunately, uh, the diversity of opportunities now is, has never been better if be able to choose that. But one thing I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that in my career – um, I got opportunities to do things that weren't really in my wheelhouse because I happened to be there, and I was always asking for it. You know, if you've got a, if you got a play I can run, send me in, coach. And, and I'll, I may not do it really well the first time, but I'll, I'll work hard and I'll learn, and maybe I can do it better the second and third times. And so if you if you aren't around other people that are tenured, a little more gray hair, and are there to teach you some of those lessons – you kind of get robbed of those reps. And so when I'm visiting with young people often on that subject, they'll ask me what I think about remote. I'm telling them, you know, I wish I could have worked remotely when my children were young. I think it yeah. would have been helpful. But but I would have come back and tried to get next as close to the people that would teach me as I possibly could, because that education, you didn't you don't get it out of a book. I mean, just knowing how to handle Difficult situations, uh, you know, over committing yourself and then figuring out a way to untangle the burden that you that you uh, put on yourself, uh, balancing life and all the aspects and how to handle hard times at the same uh, at the same level of grace that you do good times. Those are all life lessons that get accumulated over time. And the more things you get exposed to, the more situational exposure that you have, the er earlier the faster you learn all those wisdoms that we get from our grandparents. And so if you can live as much as they lived in a shorter period of time, then it just means you make terrific decisions and you just kind of have a feel for life, if that makes sense. So so, uh, part of that, getting your reps. I mean, there's reps in life. There's reps in marriage. There's reps in parenting. There's reps in career. There's reps in community. And it's important to get as many in all those aspects as you can as early as you can, because then your ability to give back a little later on really gets put on steroids.
1: You know, I look back um, if I think about the the one advice that I give or give and gave to to young people coming up was, you know, find a mentor, and and I don't just not just any mentor, find a mentor that really deeply cares about your success and is willing to give you the kind of feedback that you need, and some of that might not be pleasant. But I look back on on my career, and I I think about the the role that Roland Weeks played in helping me understand the community and the relationship the newspaper had with the community. Later in my career, the opportunity to work with Michael Newhouse, uh, largest privately owned media company in the United States, uh, and the kind of feedback and, and learning that I got from him and the opportunity that he gave me, the mentors that I have come in contact with were just, they changed my life. And I know that you look back on your career, you've got so many different ones, but you think about the role that Leo Seal played in your life or George Logel, its I mean, I can't overstate that, can I?
2: No, and uh, uh, the, the, those people, you know, George, George just celebrated his 82nd birthday and I shot him a message to wish him his... Uh, uh, for a happy birthday and just the the fact that he's 82 now and those lessons I learned from him during all that time, I I find myself repeating things that he said to me when I was in my 30s, same with Leo. But here's a little thing about mentors that I didn't expect when I was young. See, I thought that you get these mentors when you're young and then when you get, uh, let's call it more mature, like you and I are now, um, that you're doing all the mentoring uh, and your mentee days are over. And that has not proven to be, be the case. Um, just the type of mentors you get are different. You know, uh, I, I, I ran into a gentleman. I met him, uh, probably not a name that you've heard, uh, Ricky, but he's worth Googling. His name is Charles Teamer, T-E-A-M-E-R, Ch- Dr. Charles Teamer, um, gentleman in, in his 80s. Um, He's an African-American gentleman who grew up in the HBCU environment. Um, He has a finance background, became a very successful businessman. And I got to know him really because he founded a bank in New Orleans. And I met him when he was on the board of a bank uh, that we were affiliated with Uh, and just had an immediate like for him and and a profound respect for him, given all that he had accomplished through his lifestyle or lifetime and, uh, and and just try to get to know him some. And what I learned from him was uh, his life experiences were things that were different than mine. Um, so a trip I did, I, he and I went to Washington together.
1: Hey, let's um, do let's do this, John. We yep. went to Washington together. We'll pick it up right there on the other side. We're you visiting with with John uh, Hairston. Uh, The key figure with uh, Hancock Whitney. We'll talk about the latest at the bank. What is your thoughts about the economic situation? When we come back, we'll continue the conversation.
0: Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1.
1: Welcome back to Coast View. We're having a terrific conversation with my good friend, John Harrison from Hancock Whitney, longtime community leader, now regionally across multiple states. When we went to break, he was talking about how, you know, as you get older, and I felt the same way. I I was listening to you as you talked about this that you never get too old to be inspired. There's always something more to learn. In fact, I always say here on the show that the more we learn, the more we better learn how much we don't know, and that keeps us thirsty for more information. It also keeps us humble. But Dr. Charles Teamer, who you had the opportunity to get to know over in New Orleans, you were talking about a trip to Washington, and that's where we had to go to the break. So why don't you pick it up from there?
2: Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, Yeah, Dr. Teamer and I went to Washington together. Um, And the purpose of the visit is maybe a little unusual, but, uh, you know, as we go through life and you're in a leadership role in community or in, or in business, like I am in in, in this bank, um, understanding the perspectives that come from people that have had different experiences in their life uh, without getting those perspectives, you can never relive, you know, you can't have multiple lives, unfortunately, but, but you can ask questions and learn. Right. And so, uh, I'd asked uh, Charlie to go with me, and really to to take me to Washington, and we visited the Martin Luther King Memorial there together. Charlie was Dr. King's treasurer. I didn't know it until I got to know him really well. He's he's he, he's a very uh, you know, out of the limelight guy, he gets a lot of accolades and recognition, but he never seeks it. And so there are many aspects to Charlie's life. Some of the most wonderful experiences are the ones that nobody ever knows because he doesn't talk about him that much. He's a very World War II generation-esque kind of guy. And so uh, walking through that memorial... Um, and you read that they've got a number of, of excerpts and some complete parts of his speeches that are there in the granite. And hearing his recollections of that day and why they were there and what they were doing, it was a perspective that I haven't considered before. You know, we, I, I try to be a good student of history, but when you can visit a place like that with someone who was there... When it happened, heard all the good, the bad, the lessons, the way it was intended to be communicated versus the way sometimes things are recalled. Hearing it right there from the mouth of the guy who experienced it, it was incredibly, I'll use the word moving experience, and it, it changed me. It, it changed my life, and it changed priorities that I have. And so coming back from that two days with uh, with me and, and an elder gentleman um, convinced me that I, I never need to ever forget that I always need more mentors. And so uh, uh, I may be getting old enough to where I'm going to run out of people that are older than me that that have those experiences. And I may have to turn to younger people that are living a different life than I've lived to try to understand their perspectives. But I don't think age is ever an excuse to stop growing. And yeah. uh, you just have to keep on learning and take a little slice of your time and your energy and apply it to, to people that have a, have a different view on things as you. And, 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 cause it, it changes the way you feel. I think if we could live a thousand years, we would all get pushed to the center on all yeah. those I agree. Everybody's perspective a little better.
1: Uh, you know, I, I've had over 600 coast view conversations, John. And what I've learned is that, You know, when I was the CEO of a company, I never had the time to sit down and get to know people the way that this show enables me to do that. And the truth is, when I get done, I'm going to go out and play with my grandkids. I don't have P&L responsibilities. I'm not involved in the business side. I get to have these incredible conversations. Which elicited me a reminder of what I learned by, you know, being a publisher and being active in the community and whatever. But the most important thing is simply the opportunity to listen people to people and have great conversations about community and leadership and volunteerism and all those things. And it's been a real gift. You know, we're lucky in coastal Mississippi, to be honest with you. I, I, we're not always completely connected, and that's fine. But I have come to the realization, as to what you just said, that the polarizing ends oftentimes decide what the what the public conversation is. But most people, be they center right or center left, are somewhere in the middle, and we all really kind of are just equally frustrated with the fact that we can't seem to move the conversation forward in a way that allows us or enables us to solve problems. We're lucky to be in coastal Mississippi in this moment. Though. What a special place this is, and I know that you have responsibilities beyond coastal Mississippi. What I want to do now is shift the conversation. The economic situation coming out of the um, coming out of the, the the pandemic, and then the war in Ukraine, and this is the the whole situation is complicated. You have responsibilities uh, in energy-producing uh, states. And you have a unique perspective about all this. I had the opportunity to have Austin Golding from Golding Barge recently, and we talked a lot about the lack of uh, refinery capacity and all that. But let's talk about sort of the global situation. Then we can talk about the u s situation and then we bring it down to coastal Mississippi. So sort of you know how do you talk to people about it? Well,
2: there's uh, you know there's so many dimensions of the economy to discuss right now. We'll never cover them. and in- in a show, but uh, but I'll give you just a few themes. Um, there, there are a couple of themes going on right now. One of them uh, is we're beginning, I think, to see the real tangible effect of, of rolling maybe too many of our chips to one side of the plate. And so we become, and I think it's a good thing, a much more environmentally sensitive country, but there is a price for that, right? And um, we've had different administrations that put the energy industry uh, at a much more disadvantaged position. And so it, it may be a shock, but despite uh, the price of, of crude oil and natural gas right now, there's not really that much more drilling activity going on in this country than there was two years ago when, when fuel was, was about half the price. And so the reason for that is it's extremely costly. And so uh, there's very few private equity firms that are willing to put money into Drilling activities. And so what's happening is the American, the domestic oil and gas industry is essentially harvesting the work that was done years ago in a more favorable uh, governmental and investor uh, sentiment uh, time frame. And over the course of time, uh, those prices aren't going to go down. They'll get a little better as some of the Ukrainian disruption goes away. But, but our country is going to have to get used to the idea of very expensive fuel at the pump. And, and so your knee jerk reaction will be, well, let's just all go get electric cars. Well, the price of the metals and the elemental uh, composites that are used for battery production and other things are also under a pretty big supply crunch. So vehicles are gonna get more expensive and energy is gonna get more expensive. That may not be a bad thing globally for the environment, but if the whole world doesn't do the same thing, then ultimately our country will suffer on a more egregious basis than countries that are not as willing to focus on those types of environmental damages. So, and look, I, I grew up on the coastline in the water, uh, you know, shrimping with my dad. So I'm pretty environmentally sensitive. I'd consider myself a lot more greener than, than many of my friends are, but we just have to all understand as a society, there's a price for that. And we mm-hmm. have to be willing to pay it on a sustained basis. Um, you may have seen the news about the, uh, the Jackson County School District is suffering a, a budget shortfall because of the shutdown of the coal-fired, Plant in Jackson County, um, that that's another. i Am not saying it's a good or a bad thing? It's just reality that when we when we take options off the table for energy production, there is a price that everyone has to pay for that, and it may very well be worth it. But I don't think maybe our government from and I, I, this is not a current administration. Yeah, if it, it's t- take the last four or five administrations have not been as willing to stop talking politics and start talking business. and Here's the benefit and here's the cost, and everybody be willing to do it, and let's move on together. And I think maybe some of the sticker shock wouldn't be so vivid. That's just one dimension. You mean you yeah. want to ask the question? You mean move yes. on? Yeah, go ahead. No, minutes. go ahead.
1: Go ahead. Yeah.
2: So the second one is just the impact of inflation and workforce and the things going on so we're in a in a real bumpy ride and unfortunately and you're, you're a news guy so you under you I think you'll understand and appreciate what I'm saying the 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 presentation of fact which you do a pretty good job of I think on this show but the presentation of fact in the national news media has given way to tone and maybe even drama. And so uh, the days of of the proverbial Walter Cronkite, here's the facts, and kind of let you, the listener, make the decision of whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing. We don't hear as much. So we're better than we ever have been at sharing news. But we may be worse than we ever have been at presenting it in a way that reasonable people can form a rational conclusion versus getting told what they're supposed to think about it. So for that reason, um, I think that, that group of people call them the frustrated majority probably rely uh, on lesser quality sources for their facts than they ever have had before. And they're told every day to be frustrated. So how do they feel? They're frustrated. So uh, somebody's going to come up with an idea to produce the news one day on a national basis that's just the truth as best as they can report it. And I think they're going to be wildly successful. Maybe it should be you. It's about time for you to get back in the P and L business, Ricky.
1: <laughs> no, I'm not looking. I'm not looking forward to that. But you're you're right. I mean, it, it creates a, a tremendous amount of confusion. And people, the average person, doesn't really know what to worry about and what not to worry. But what they do know is their price of gas is going up. When they go to the grocery store, they can't buy as many things. Their ability to make ends meet are not are not there and they don't hear that there's going to be any relief soon and so you know that's that's the moment we're in right now isn't it yeah, yeah.
2: well and, and it's true and and they and there there really won't be any very short term relief the good news is that the economy is expanding So for all this bad news that's out there, inflation's tough, it really is. And wages typically don't keep up with inflation once inflation gets above 3%. So the real cash flow pinch that families feel is real. It'll eventually roll over, probably later next year when that happens and things get more even. But for a short period of time, we're going to have a little bit more pain.
1: When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with John Harrison from Hancock Whitney, and we'll kind of bring it down to the local economy and sort of where we are as it relates to all that. We'll see you after this break.
0: Subscribe for free to the Coast View podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun Herald. And now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coastview with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk, Mississippi Gulf Coast
1: 103.1. Welcome back to Coastview. I always, always covet my opportunities to speak, spend time with my friend John Harrison. He's the CEO of Hancock Whitney. And, um, you know, look at, I should point out actually that, that my parents were we customers to Hancock Bank, and so I inherited a love of Hancock Bank as a child, <laughs> and I'm still a customer of Hancock Whitney today, and it is Hancock Whitney and uh, the team there, Janet and others that you know well uh, – uh, John, who have helped me, you know, structure myself financially where I can have an early retirement. So when I, but, but even today, when I look at where we are, it's scary. And if you look at the overall market, you're talking about massive value has been wiped out. I think stocks are down what 10 trillion or some ridiculous number like that. Cryptos yeah, down two, you know, 2 trillion, big techs down a trillion. Woo. We, we may never recover all of that, but when you look at it from that perspective, what do you see?
2: Oh, it'll, it'll be recovered. We'll recover that and more. Um, the market, the, the market always recovers. It's never failed to. And the reason is because there has to be some place to put liquidity. Right. I mean, uh, the, the days of storing all the your, your cash under your mattress are simply behind us for both security and for beneficial investment reasons. And so um, the market's coming down some. But if you think about where all that money's going, it didn't like it went away. I mean, the reason the market comes down is because investors sell their stocks and they take that cash and they put it in something else. And so it's parked in all these different places. And trust me, it's not crypto. So all that money will, will flow back into the market when confidence is a little bit better. When, when that happens, it's hard to predict. But, but there's already some interesting things happening. So if you look at, you know, the first quarter, earlier in the first quarter, I mean, the economy was go-go. Inflation was certainly going up higher, but um, the the banking system all was kind of screaming, you, you, "We need to start raising rates." And I think people thought we might have been doing it because we wanted to make more money. But in reality, was we didn't see these cost increases happening, particularly workforce cost happening, because of of transitory pressures. We believed it was real, and unfortunately, and you know, very much unfortunately, we were right. So as the Fed began to respond, began to raise interest rates. It has not cooled inflation, and the reason is because there's so much pent-up economic horsepower in the United States today. There's so much spending still going on, Um, and supply chains and held-up inventories are in the way of that. And and every time COVID breaks loose in Asia, they do a shutdown. Versus, I think our country's kind of figured out that look, it's here and it's going to keep on being here. So live your life and get on down the road. And 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 today, when I've had two friends tell me today they've got COVID. Two years ago, it would have been, "Oh my God, what can we do? Can we feed you, bring you groceries?" Today, they're just like them. You know, I'm catching up on TV and news. Will be, it's just a very different sentiment today than it was in the pre-vaccination. Um, we don't know how bad this is going to get. Sort of time horizon. So the economy is good, and so so what happened was we had this big GDP expectation for the year, and then we get into March, and inflation's out of control, and the Fed's raising. Wages and, and Putin invades uh, Ukraine and you had all this bad news and so uh, Moody's and other economic forecasters hauled down uh, now down to seventy basis points what their annual GDP forecast was that's about twenty percent so said said in summary we went from January to May is the most updated information June's coming out this week um, the the information showed that we are expecting the economy to expand twenty percent less. And we thought it was going to expand just four months ago. That's a huge difference. But it's only it's only gone down from white hot to the you know from the surface of the sun to just scorching. Right. So the, the American economy is still doing terrific. Um, unemployment is really logically zero. The only reason there's any unemployment today reported is people that are in between assignments, but they're still looking. The the biggest challenge we have with unemployment right now, frankly, or employment and workforce is enough people in the workforce. So the the current and previous administration's temperature on immigration has proven to be too tight. Um, I'm not saying illegal immigration. I'm saying immigration. And making, making it easier for people to relocate to the United States that can and are willing to work is a good thing for workforce, and it's a good thing for the economy, in, in this banker's opinion. Um, having more people in the workforce are capable of working back to work makes a huge difference. Having schools and childcare centers more dependable in this kind of of post-heat-of-the-pandemic moment so that working moms can work where they couldn't really depend on where their kids were going to be you know because they didn't know if school was going to be open that day or not all that's kind of coming behind us so getting the work for the american workforce kind of back into working is going to then create even more spending so so i think the outlook is actually pretty rosy will we slip into a recession uh, for a period of time as the as the fed cools the economy it could happen. I mean, it could happen, but but it's not going to be like the one we had, no five oh six, unless somebody screws up. So, so I yeah. think what we need is a we need the U.S. government, the federal government, this administration, and the next one to both be focused on the economy. Maybe t- t- tap the brakes on all of some of the the things we fight and argue about that are social and frankly personal decisions and focus on jobs, focus on economy, focus on quality of life. And I think the country is gonna end up in a really fine place here, five or 10 years down the road. So my outlook is actually pretty rosy. Apply that to the coast, Ricky. The coast is booming. I mean, just booming. We have construction opportunities that we didn't have before. Um, There are restaurants getting built every day. They're full almost all the time. Tourism is terrific. I mean, it's hot right now and there's people out on the beach. I wouldn't go to the beach right now. It's too hot for me, particularly with my, my complexion. But uh, but there's still people out there doing things and, and enjoying the water and enjoying sports and whatnot. So I, I think the only thing that's going to get in the way of the coast economy continuing to boom is if we get in the way ourselves.
1: Yeah. And yeah.
2: we focus on dumb things versus the right things. And if we can get a, some continuity between business leadership and elected leadership and the leadership in Jackson and making investments that are smart, and growing jobs above all else, of making sure that we take children, and I, I'm a proponent of child education starting at six months, not six years, um, and make sure that we physiologically and intellectually develop our children into the maximum quality workforce that can be. If we can do that and use money to do that, I think the coast has a boundless opportunity. So I, I'm still pro, I'm still all the way pro.
1: I'm I'm glad I'm glad to hear that, and I don't necessarily disagree with you because if you look at the fundamentals, it is what you say it is. It's sort of like this dichotomy: a lot of challenges, but there's also tremendous opportunities and good signs to see as well. One of the points that you've made about coastal Mississippi, and one of the beauties of being able to do this show is the opportunity I had to work, talk to developers and mayors and planners and people in the economic uh, arena. Is that coming back to a point that you made that since the 1990s, we haven't had a game changing industry like gaming, and we're not going to have it again. You're not going to have another Chevron, you're not going to have another Stennis, you're not going to have another gaming. So we have to go get it in a different way, and there's a lot of alignment now actually around this whole notion of the new economy. Build a sort of places where people want to want to live, and then they'll come here because they have choices now to work to to live wherever they want to wherever they want to live. You see mixed use, you see density in downtown areas coming uh, together. There's literally something John going on in every single community from Waveland to to Moss Point and all points in between. The kind of conversations, the kind of community planning, the kind of investments. It's exciting to see, man. I mean, this, we're moving in the right direction as it relates to all that, aren't we?
2: I think so. And uh, you know, while it's, it's hard for big uh, industrial complexes to get off the ground, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily impossible. And here's, here, here's my argument. And, and it's a long-term argument, but I think it's got some wheels to it. Um, other areas of the country may be foolishly are so negative on anything related to industry that they turn their back on industry that is clean. You know, the, the view, the, the, the general popular view, and it's kind of exacerbated with younger people because they're hearing, you know, as I said before, news from a different source sometimes um, that all industry is bad. Industries pull rivers in the air and whatever, and that's just not the case. Some do, some more than others, but a lot don't. And and if Mississippi in general, if I think the Alabama to and through the through the southern Louisiana quarter into Texas, that quarter of area, the only real weather challenges we have are hurricanes, right? We we and every every area of the country has something like that, right? But generally speaking, the rest of the year it's a mild climate. People can get to work all all during the year. We have generally speaking great transportation corridors. We lack in mass transit, but that's going to get fixed. And the railroad announcement with Amtrak is a much bigger deal than people give credit for because it's kind of a a, a beginning of something better, right? And that'll start. So I believe both in renewable types of energy-fed industries and in technology-based industries, those types, I think, have a good home here if we can just kind of get the economic development engines fired up to compete and attract and Mississippi unfortunately doesn't have an empowered economic development statewide organization to go make deals I mean a lot of that's still in the legislature I'm not going to say it's right or wrong I'm just going to say it's slow compared to some of the states that we have to do business or do do battle with for so if we can get to some happy medium with that It allows that organization to negotiate on behalf of this state and this population to gather new industries. I believe we can actually make some good headway and get off the bottom of a few charts.
1: Well, that's good to hear, and you make you make some really good points about uh, geographically how we're positioned, and certainly, and certainly the, the notion of the business climate that exists here, et cetera. You when can also back, listen to live to Supertalk Mississippi uh, the Gulf, Gulf Coast 103.1 on we'll your, your Amazon Alexa
0: devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Supertalk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Supertalk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1.
1: Well, when we planned the conversation with John Harrison from Hancock Whitney, I knew that it was going to be full of all kinds of stuff, and if this was full of all kinds of really important. Observations about the economy, about the local situation, but let's shift gears in this final segment. I just want to kind of get from you, John. How's the bank doing these days? Um, are you seeing some regions doing better than other regions? Just overall, what's your what's your thoughts about yeah. Hancock Whitney? Yeah,
2: I think you know the the banking industry uh, after going through the difficulty of the financial recession, the, the industry as a whole became very well capitalized, very resilient, and so. In a way, I don't think we ever saw this, and and whether it was divine intervention and planning, I don't know, but the financial recession happening for all of its evil and and bad, kind of set up the financial system for the country to be prepared for something like a pandemic. Yeah, we had gone through the pandemic without all of the aftermath and the lessons learned. The financial recession, the outcome could have could have been more brutal, and as it were. Um, We had some good actions on part of both the Trump and the Biden administrations in terms of the PPP loans, which, which helped, and that part of that is causing inflation. There's a price of all that money getting issued, but it was worth it to kind of salvage the American economy, in my opinion, at least. So, uh, so I think the banking industry as a whole has done well. Um, You know, we, you know, at, at Hancock Whitney, we we still kind of run the company by a lot of those old tenants that, that leo and his father before him set up that when things get bad assume the worst and and you know build big loan loss reserves we had the i think we had the highest percentage loan loss reserve except for chase bank um, when the pandemic began it was painful to set all that money aside and we ended up not needing it and and so um so it's been a real big tailwind to re- to building capital and earnings for Really, the last six or seven quarters, so uh, we find ourselves in probably the best position we've ever been in, um, and we use the the pandemic period to expand. So, while you know all this disintermediation of traffic of, of of branch types of financial transactions, they all they all went to phones, right, and to to web, and so traffic flow in branches across the country went down, and twenty five percent of our transactions moved from branch. To iPhone or, or or a Droid or whatever your, your 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 smart device choice is, so we we ended up trimming the branch franchise where we had density and some of that impacted the coast, which is hard for me as a coast kid. But 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 we simply had more facility than we needed for that new world, and then we took all of that and basically redeployed it and opened markets in in San Antonio, in Austin, in Dallas. Um, expanded in, in our, our Beaumont footprint, um, uh, we, we'll, we're we are just about to add an office in Atlanta. It won't be a full banking office. it will be focused on a type of lending there. Um, we've expanded our Nashville operations. We're expanding in Tampa. So I would expect that we'd probably add, you know, two or three new markets per year going forward. Simply because the uh, the the strength of the balance sheet, uh, which started. Right here in coastal Mississippi has afforded us the opportunity to do that. So uh, I feel I feel really good about our industry. Um, I know there are those in Washington that, for whatever reason, don't like banks, and I frankly don't get it because I mean, what we do for a living is is match people that need to put money safely with people that need to borrow money prudently. Um, that makes the economy go, and so I I think we're the, the good guys, so to speak. But um, the uh, all the uh, the negativism or negativism that we get sometimes from from politicians against banks i mean you know banks are going to screw up from time to time that's going to happen like every other industry or every other company but uh but at the end of the day the friend of economic growth and the friend of employment is the banking industry Yeah. yeah i'm proud to be a banker i mean i'm an engineer by training but uh but uh, I'm mean, next to being a pastor, a missionary, and a physician. I think a banker is about the most noble thing you can do to try to really help people all day. That's that's what we do.
1: Well, John, you you know people may not realize this if they don't know your story, but you sort of engineered this merger acquisition with Whitney and uh at the time you had holding companies and various boards and you had to bring them all together into one board which i I, you know looking at your board today you've got a great board and then you had to build a team that was you know able to serve this very diverse uh geographic geographically speaking company and uh, you've done that as well so how how is all that going yeah you do have a terrific board don't you
2: yeah, I'm real happy with uh, with our board. It's it's very diverse. Um, it's uh, highly skilled. Um, it, it's you know a group. When you put a group of smart people that have different perspectives in the room, you know that sausage baking can get long and arduous sometimes. But but the product's really good, and so I think it's been very healthy. And we have a great partnership between management and our board. But uh, but you know at the end of the day, and and you mentioned the the Hancock Whitney deal. Um, the two organizations have been affiliated you know for literally a hundred years before we we finally put them together, but kind of what drove all that Ricky and this is this is a an important point I think for other industries in our state in, in business on the coast is uh, scale is becoming more important now I loved our little bank when we had a company picnic and everybody came. Um, I-, I loved those days. I miss those days. I would love to be able to go back to those days, but you can't do it because of scale. But we've been able to scale the organization to the degree that we can continue growing and bringing investment back home um, and be a, I, mean, I think we're one of the largest employers on the, on the coast now, even though we have operations in, in five states. And so it really has made a positive difference to the economy and we look forward to being a good corporate citizen
1: well congratulations on all your success thank you so much for your continued friendship and you know the inspiration you provide a lot of leaders up and coming leaders leaders that have been contributing for many years to help us build a better community that's so important and you've taken the time throughout your tenure to do that so have a great day my friend and thanks for visiting with me today yeah
2: and and thanks for doing what you do on the show these are great conversations to have
1: You, you bet my friend you bet we'll see you tomorrow have a great day